Oh, hey, everybody. Welcome to the Cast. I'm your host, Charlie Barons, coming to you from uh, the conference room at the Holiday Inn in Hayward, Wisconsin. Actually, uh, I'm up on vacation this week, which has been pretty sweet. Been doing my brother Billy caught a muskie. OK, and I, I don't want to go out and, and be mad when somebody catches a muskie. But I will say that we had the dog with us and I told Billy, I says, Billy, you know what? We'll take the dog in our boat today because, you know, you just got up here. You, you got to focus on figuring out the boat, you know, and everything like that. And so I give him a break. I say, we'll take the dog in, in our boat. And he goes out and catches the first muskie and to date the only muskie of the trip. So, folks, I'm steaming right now. But honestly, you're supposed to be happy for people when they catch a muskie. And I know that logically. I'm just uh, still trying to process it emotionally. Congrats on your fish, Billy. I'm going to get back out there. And honestly, now he's fishing right now. Well, I'm, I went to the Holiday Inn to get internet service uh, because I just got the pleasure of interviewing one of my favorite comedians, Roy Wood Jr. Um, I've been a fan of him for years, his work on The Daily Show, also his stand-up specials. He has, um, a few years ago, I, I stumbled upon these prank calls that he used to do on the radio. So Really great guy, and actually, uh, I want to say about a month ago, sometime in April, I think, Roy Wood Jr., myself, uh, and Sashir Zamata did a show at Marquette University for the graduating seniors, so we got a chance to connect briefly then uh, and ask him to come on the podcast, and uh, such a great guy. So we talked about a number of things on here, which uh, advice for up-and-coming comedians. You know, I get a lot of people requesting sort of information on how do I do what you do, and um, I, you know, I give some of my advice in this podcast, but Roy actually does just a great job of of dialing down on what you can do to like create content because that's what it's really about these days is creating content in order for you to sell tickets to become a stand up. So we discuss that. We also talk about Roy has gone on uh, several USO tours, so we talk about that, and uh, he's also very passionate about veterans, veterans' rights, and and all that sort of stuff. So we touch on a lot of things in this podcast. I think you're really going to enjoy it. So I'm not going to say much more about that. I, I, I feel like I usually just try and recap the podcast in these intros, and that's really not helpful because then who's going to listen to the podcast? Also, folks, I should mention there's a little bit of language in this podcast, okay? So if you got kids listening or you're sensitive to the French, okay, uh, a little bit of cussing, Okie dokes, now you know. So anyway, we will get to that podcast in a second, but before we do, I just want to thank all of you for rating the podcast and leaving a comment. That helps us so much. Also, uh, if you follow Cripescast on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook, that's at Cripescast, you can see pictures and videos and whatnot from these interviews. So check that out. Follow if you haven't. All right. And with that, I'm going to shut up so you can listen to my conversation with Roy Wood Jr. And I can go out and try and find one of them muskies. Oh, cheese Louise. Okie dokes. Here's Roy. What you been up to? Dude, I have, I guess, I don't know if the people can see this or not, but beard action. Yeah, looks for the good. first time in my life. No, I got cast in this Fletch remake yeah, thing I with saw John that. Hamm. And so now it's like, oh, well, I'm a detective and I'm stressed out and I have a f- newborn infant, but I'm also a cop and I'm working the case. That guy probably doesn't shave. <laughs> yeah. He's got shit to do. So for the first time in my life, man, this is the only other time I grew my beard um was for an abc pilot that didn't go 
where I had to play Jermaine Fowler's father. Uh-huh. But I'm only like seven years or eight years older than Jermaine <laughs> Fowler. But once you add a beard and I'm like 80 pounds heavier than he's so scrawny, like he yeah, could play yeah, down yeah. his age and I could play up. <laughs> How do you like age. it? Do you like the beard life or no? So, yeah, I'm not a fan. I, it's a, the day we wrap filming, I'm shaving in my trailer before I leave set. <laughs> I I kind of like the goatee a little bit, but it's this full around the corner cheek to ear mutton chopped sideburn yeah. shit edging up and it's just it's eh, i don't know it's just it's new i'm yeah. not shitting on people with beards <laughs> it's just it's just a different life if you've never lived it it is a different it's life issue i had uh i grew this but this took it took a while because it was patchy for a while so i had to let it like grow over the patch and then kind of trim it you know and then yeah. it's been a while in the making, though, I guess. Yours, I, I, I think yours looks good if I were to compliment your uh, beard situation, especially well, if you go the goatee you. route. You got a solid goatee action going. Well, I appreciate it. I just yeah. got to connect this one little bottom with the fucking top mustache. Got a little gap right there. Got to build that bridge. We'll fill that in and post. You got like a special forces beard. We're like, oh, wow. Thank you. What do you mean it's by that? Special forces, but you're not on deployment. Mm. Like, <laughs> It's like, you know, like s- spreading my wing, growing my hair a little bit, you know, you've shortened it a little bit, but, you know, you're supposed to let it grow long and scraggly because like in the Middle East, I, I've been told that's a sign of respect or like wisdom or something. I don't know all the customs, but of the USO tours I've known, the longer the beard, the less shit they give you. Is that walking the through a town. Yeah. So you you've know, done a few shows the, out there, haven't you? A few tours. Four, I've done four tours. Um, was set for a fifth and booked daily show and had to cancel. Oh, really? So I wasn't able to do that one. And then I haven't been able to go out since just because that job is so go, go, go. Like you never get, honestly, you never get more than two weeks off in a row. For really? Show. Like you get holidays. You might get two and a half or something like that. But since 2015, I've never had more than two weeks off. And it's to do a USO tour you really need all 14 of them days plus another two or three just for your clock to readjust yeah. for all the sand to get out of your fucking chest. <laughs> and then also in that same time I had a child. So it's like, oh, fuck, wow. I can't even be gone for the, like I couldn't look my girl in the eyes and go, yeah, I'm gonna go to the desert for two weeks. I'll be back. <laughs> Good luck with that baby though. <laughs> I hear they I hear they pretty much operate themselves, you know. He's 5 now, so he's probably a little more self-sufficient, but like uh-huh. those first 2 3 years not a fuck no no fucking way, bro. Yeah. Yeah, when you were out uh overseas so doing those shows, did did you enjoy that? Did you have to adjust your comedy a bit? Did you write material specifically for it? I think we 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 overthink the troops and just forget that oh it's just an american and we're all in some weird place so you can acknowledge the locale a little bit about the job i just think with any comedy in strange places find the connectors and the common denominators first Mm -hmm. start with those topics then you can get back into you know your own shit or whatever but you know i would talk a little bit about base life um Pretty much everybody hates um, management, but that's like any job. Every job, everybody hates management. 
So you can make a couple jokes about the lieutenants and the COs. There's a certain line that you can't cross and shit, of course. But nah, it was once you get through those first two or three jokes, it's pretty normal. But then also I have to kind of paint the picture, though, because with the USO tours that we were doing, some were on base. I did some on base for expats who weren't actual active duty. Okay. Then we did some on actual base. Like we were in Kuwait, we were in uh, Baghdad at the uh, embassy in Baghdad. We were one of the first groups to go back there uh, for that. And like that was probably the wildest one because it was just like an Apache chopper base. Fucking ISIS is like 10 miles. You can see shit smoldering on the horizon. And hey, it's joke time. Yeah, right. <laughs> Who's ready for jokes? And so, like that type of shit was a little weird, but I think in the bigger scheme of things, it was it was worth it. Yeah, you, know, yeah. you definitely get to see some interesting working conditions, to say the least. Um, um, and we I believe Patriot missile missile ins- installation um, in um, is it Bahrain Camp Bahrain? No, Camp Bahrain in Kuwait. And so it the thing that how can I say this tactfully? The thing that always has made me wonder with with USO tours is how much am I there? Like okay, I know I'm there for a morale boost for the troops that are doing something that they volunteer to do to defend the country period full stop. Fine. Before the group that I was in, I sometimes felt like when we were on those tours, my experience was manicured. Like I, we, they weren't sending us deep into Afghanistan in like active fire. Like we weren't close to the shit. Like Baghdad was probably the closest we were to the shit and the shit was still far enough on the horizon where it wasn't like wild, wild. Right. But I, I sometimes wonder how much of I wonder how much entertainers are taking over there so that we could come back and talk about how good it was over mm. there. Yeah. Like the 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 and it and it didn't click to like the second to like the third or fourth tour cuz I started meeting motherfuckers in the states who I'd met on their first tour. They would come to the stand-up shows. Mm. And shit. And these guys would be a little little beat up, you know, emotionally. And so it's like, is are the was I put out? Are entertainers put out on these USO tours to entertain the troops, or to be shown one side of the experience of war to come back and then espouse that experience to our audience without a full total perspective, thus skewing the average American's view of what it's like over there. Mm. Does that make sense? Makes a lot of sense. So that's, I cope with that. Like mm. that part of it, I'm like, ah, mm. you know, so I try to talk about, you know, veterans rights and stuff. And you know, I, I touch on it here and there in my act, but I don't talk a lot about the USO stuff in terms of what happened on the day to day. I do mm-hmm. try to talk more about the experiences and the people I met, you know, you know, I do think it's valuable and uplifting for the troops. I, I heard that firsthand from people. You know, we would meet people. Um, 
I don't know what this hospital is called. I don't know any of the army fucking jargon. But mm-hmm. if you get injured and it's bad, you go to Germany and they fix you. And then it's you either go back to America and wait till your shit is wait till you're healthy and then you come back to the shit. Or if you're injured and it's not quite go back to America level injury, then you stay at a separate hospital that's close to base or near just in the region and you rehab in the re- like let's say you broke your foot. That's like a six week whatever the fuck, right? Mm. We might not send you home for that. We're going to send you over to this hospital for a couple of weeks till you, your foot doesn't hurt and then you'll do a desk job until you're ready to go back out in the shit. So we would visit those soldiers who were going through that. Like they didn't send us to Germany. Um, I guess we weren't famous enough. I do also think that there's... <laughs> An A-list, B-list, something. <laughs> yeah. I, like for real, because the people that are in the shit, you need bigger stars. Yeah, to right. keep you uplifted. You right. you don't need me. You fucking need Drew Carey, <laughs> right. <and> Toby Keith. <laughs> like, yeah, they're deep in the fucking green zone. <laughs> like these are special special forces. Fucking yeah. send in Usher Raymond. But but for us, no, we're gonna go to Guam and we're gonna mm-hmm. go to JSOC Command and we're gonna learn about Air Force refueling and the fire line, the 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 flight line, and all of that stuff. But you know, we were. In Kuwait, most of the troops that we entertained were people who either just got back to the shit or getting ready to head into it. Mm -hmm. But we were never there at it. Baghdad was probably the closest we ever were. But, you know, by far the most meaningful comedy I've probably ever performed happened on those tours. But also probably the most emotionally conflicted I've ever felt after a after a trip. Mm hmm. For the reasons you mentioned, if the PR situation kind of, right? Well, it's a little bit of that. But then also you go on these tours and then as you start doing your research and your reading and you start seeing what the guys are going through and people and troops and veterans are telling you what the fuck is happening back here. And I got an uncle that's a vet and he's walking me through the whole process of VA benefits and X, Y, Z. So now imagine you've been infused with the knowledge of how dysfunctional this country is and how it uplifts veterans on the other side of their tour and then you go out and you entertain 22 year olds who don't even know that that train's coming yet Mm. or they don't care Mm -hmm. so that part of it is kind of but you can't get on stage and go make sure you file for your benefits now motherfucker because it's gonna take you (laughs) right yeah they'll they'll cut your microphone (laughs) (laughs) You, you don't get your check. You've, you've also got that hilarious bit of, you know, at the baseball games or whatever, where they have, they acknowledge a veteran, you know, as they should, uh, but they never give them the microphone. You know, I just no. thought that was such a poignant bit because you can't talk. No, <laughs> don't you say shit. <laughs> you stand here and let us clap for you. motherfucker. <laughs> well, and we do a lot of work with the VFW of Wisconsin. And one of their big missions is doing lobbying to just get veterans the benefits because there's not a great system of, you know, people knowing what they're in entitled to and a lot of them are living with the consequences ptsd or maybe a physical um you know thing and they don't have the the means or the knowledge of figuring it out because it's unfortunately seemingly intentionally very complicated to figure out you know and you can get denied right. benefits a few times before you get them so yeah i mean that's a whole system if you they treated figure the out. vets nice the recruiting side of the army would be so easy bro like it would be so easy 
to recruit after that. Right. Because any job that's badass, you wouldn't even need a commercial. People would be coming to sign up for that shit in a yeah. heartbeat. So, yeah, I, I definitely feel like there's there's a lot of work to be done in that part of you know our country. And it's disheartening to go over and be tasked with entertaining people that, you know, some of them may end up in a very fucked up situation. And so, you know, until I can get back over there, you know, I do what I can on my side to stir up a little shit on the Daily Show about yeah. it. But even that's difficult because you got to get people to talk on camera. Right. And the government ain't talking on no goddamn camera. No. <laughs> Especially you know, not to the Daily Show. Not the vets will talk, but when you start talking and trying to hold people accountable, there's a lot of getting sent to voicemail and shit. Yeah. The Daily Show seems like a cool mix for you because your background is journalism and then comedy. And was the Daily Show like one of your targets kind of coming up as a comedian? I'd say 07. Whatever year Wyatt Cenac started at The Daily Show, I auditioned. I didn't get it because my audition was fucking god-awful. Was it live god or awful. tape? No, in person. You, They sent us a scene. Like, you know, one of the reporter yeah, the and John scenes. Yeah, I shit the bed. And <laughs> I always felt like, oh, well, I have a degree in journalism and I am a comedian. I should be working there. Right. That is a fucking... But then, you know, it would be another eight years before I got a chance to audition again. You know, yeah. the, the fact that I even got a second audition, we needed a whole new host for my name to even get thrown back in the hat again. And that time I was ready. You know, ESPN, I'd done probably at that point, I'd been on ESPN for about two years on and off. Just whatever the midday sports argument show was at the time. I would always get invited to be on those shows. And so that kind of helped work the muscle of being the contrarian within a situation where everyone else was thinking one way. Mm -hmm. And as a comedian, you could go the other way with it. So that part of it was pretty cool. Um, and that kind of worked the muscle a little bit. So then when Trevor Noah came in the mix and they started looking for new correspondents, Neil Brennan uh, kind of, you know, threw my name in the hat over there. And so, you know, opportunity meets preparation as they say yeah um and i was able to book it but no it, that second time around my comedy was my views of the world were also far more well polished and i was you know well traveled at that point oh seven i hadn't even moved to la i had just moved to la and i'd been a road comic in you know in the south and midwest for you know eight nine years and doing morning radio in birmingham so I didn't have enough perspective of the world. And it's like, there's just these little, it's just these little things that need to be in your DNA to do that type of, to do that type of commentary on television. Yeah. Um, that I didn't have. And also that can't be the first time you're really performing on TV either. You have right. to be comfortable with the camera. Like you already have to have gone through that fire of reading prompter and all of that stuff, which is cool now because you know, the youngins, there's enough technology out there. You can practice all of that. Yeah, yeah. Especially, I remember I auditioned for The Daily Show. I was like hosting um, a show in Dallas at the time. And I just thought, you know, 
Daily Show would be like, you write your script, you hit your punchlines, you're in, you know, but you're right. I think it's it pretty clearly doesn't come through that or your greenness comes through pretty easily, at least when I watch that clip back, you know. So the audition, the way they audition, at least under Trevor, um, I don't think we did this under John, or at least not when I auditioned. Uh, you perform one piece that they wrote and then you and Trevor together do a piece that you wrote. Mm, yeah. With the idea being, can you bring our shit to life? And does your shit merge with that approach and the style of comedy that we want here? Mm -hmm. And so they they won't tell you no. You just go, this is the piece I want to do. And either they and it's on you to make it funny. Because if it's not funny, you wrote it, bitch. Yeah. So you don't get the show. Yeah, <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah, so yeah. Yeah. So it's that. It's a little bit of acting class. It's a little bit of, you know, political science. But at the end of the day, it's just humor. You're just trying to find or at least what I try to do now with the show. Because there's so many political satire shows out there. There so are. Many different shows finding the angle. I mean, shit, it's motherfuckers on Instagram doing two boxes and giving their opinions on whatever the fuck of the day. So you need to be able to find the angle that no one else has or mm -hmm. defend the indefensible for comedic reason. Mm. So, if you can do one of those two things, then you're in a sweet spot. Yeah, yeah. And I, I feel like uh, the field pieces in a lot of respects you have, you just find a lot of interesting stories in doing that. Like I'm thinking about what was the box, the, uh, the basically the white uh, guilt box. What was that called? The, the oh, selling those? The woke box. The woke box. The woke yeah, box. Yeah. yeah, safety pin or safety pin box. Okay, that was it. Yeah. It was safety pin box, a subscription service that every month will send you things that you can do to be a better white ally. It was like literal like equality homework assignments. And shit. <laughs> It was like a hundred people bucks a are month. signing up for it. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred dollars a month subscription. Thousand a month at a hundred bucks a box. I was like, that yeah. is amazing. That was a very funny bit though. Yeah. And it, it took that journalistic thing of like finding it and your sit downs are hilarious too. Uh, <laughs> what, what goes into that to making those sort of field pieces? Cause you got to have people play around with you too. Are you like there making f people feel comfortable saying we're going to like, sort of do it this way or do you go out do the sit down and then just kind of try and find your lightning the idea is you just tell me the truth tell me your mm -hmm. truth mm -hmm. correspondent will react how they react for the sake of comedy or for the sake of getting more information and it's no different than when you look at jordan klepper jordan klepper to me is probably one of the best at it um when it comes to man on the street and just talking to random people where it's not even a sit down situation. It's mm -hmm. literally running gun along the street. And Klepper knows what he thinks about an issue. He knows what he believes. So you tell me your truth. Ba 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 ba. Klepper contradicts you. Mm -hmm. What about ba ba ba? Well, I think ba da ba da ba. And then Klepper mm -hmm. goes, but you just said da da da. Then they conflict with that. Ah, I don't got time for this. <laughs> That's just I, a conversation. Yeah. And that's really all we're doing is we're having conversations with people and matching perspectives. And so mm -hmm. you allow the subjects to disseminate the information and it's the correspondent's job to either process that comedically or to question it mm -hmm. and challenge the interview subject in a way that 
helps bring a little bit of comedy, but also forces them to delve deeper into their opinions and why they feel. Why do you feel this way? Mm -hmm. Like, that's really the ultimate question, you know, in a lot of conversations that we have with people in general in life. And I think that's really what we're pushing towards um, in most of that stuff. But nah, it's not. Okay, now you say this, and then I'm gonna say this. Right. It's gonna be funny. You get ready. It's like, nah, I don't know what the fuck you're gonna say, bro. The only thing we might do is ask you to repeat yourself in a shorter fashion so we can use it in a quicker clip. Fight, <laughs> so yeah. Yeah, I always yeah. find it interesting when uh, a character, I mean, Colbert did this a lot. Uh, Jordan does this from time to time, but where you mirror the character you're talking to and you kind of like take their logic and extend it to a point where it mm -hmm. can't be rational to any person and they're just like yeah that's what i think you know those are Correct. always kind of powerful bits yeah um, and i don't think that those people get into those conversations expecting to be made fun of and a lot of people don't care because it's what they believe and i don't care what you think about my beliefs mm -hmm. i'm going to tell you what i think mm -hmm. and you can do with that information what you will but damn it this is my chance to sit in front of this camera and da -da 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 -da, and that's what they do yeah, it's an interesting thing. Where do you think we're going in terms of com political satire these days? You, it's so saturated. Do you think we're to a point where there's so much it's it's almost white noise? Or do you think that there's a lot of that's breaking through, I guess, to those who may whose minds you may want to be changing? Do you think it's it's breaking through there or is that not the point of it? I think a lot of it. I think a lot of political satire has splintered because as a country, we don't agree on the truth anymore. You know, right. when you look at the Jon Stewart days, there could be a more centrist political satire show, you know, even with what Bill Maher started originally with Politically Incorrect, you know, over 20 years ago, there was a let's discuss how to solve the problem. Mm -hmm. And let's make jokes about how we are solving or not solving the problem. Trump and post-Trump created an atmosphere where we don't even agree on what the problem is. Right. So we can't even begin to figure out the solutions because we now have to have arguments about what the problem is. Um, I think political satire now serves as much of a purpose as keeping people inspired to fight against something as it does to maybe changing minds or addressing people that are a little more centrist. I mean, there's enough shows, but they thankfully all look through stuff through a different lens. Like, like, and I, and I know this because I sometimes have to do this every week. You can watch most of all of the other daily show. I don't like the word competitor because we're all friends and like half of these shows are disciples have descendants of Jon Stewart. Jon Stewart's DNA is across cable. Yeah. From Colbert to Sam, B like, you know what I mean? So I, I don't like the word competitor, but you can watch a lot of these other shows. You can watch John Oliver. You can watch Seth Meyers. And there isn't a lot of the same angles mm -hmm. on a general topic. There could be one big topic of the week, but everybody has a different entry point into what it is they're trying to address and what it is they're trying to break down on that particular issue. And then a motherfucker like John Oliver will just go out to right field. Fuck, right. y'all can talk about that. Today, we are talking about the smuggling of illegal coconut oil inside of basketballs that are important. <laughs> and it's like, what the fuck? But then you'd be watching like, oh, shit. Yeah. And 
Monday morning, you go, man, did you know they be smuggling coconut oil inside of <laughs> fucking Wilson basketball? And so everybody has their own angles of attack. I mean, even on the right, when you look mm-hmm. at what Fox News has, and then you see where Newsmax is coming up and starting to fucking... Like, I never thought I'd see Fox News with some competition, but them motherfuckers got some competition. Yeah. Newsmax is, yeah. is Give them pushing a run for the money. Correct. So I think no matter what your beliefs, there's something for you because we are more splintered now. The things that you are, what is it you're passionate about exactly? Um, I think we're in a world now where specific is the new broad in mm-hmm. terms of trying to reach people. You know, does all of this stuff do something to change the minds of somebody and go, you know what? I'm going to stop wearing Confederate flag T-shirts. I don't know. But Mm. I do think that all of these shows and everything in this landscape now works in unison to keep people stirred up and giving a fuck about, you know, paying attention to what the right thing is to do or the issues that you should, you know, give some concern about whether you get inspired by us or fucking Sam B or fucking Seth Myers or fucking Oliver. I mean, even Jesus and Merrill stirred a pot if we're going to be 100 about it. Mm-hmm. So no matter where you go to get some degree of news or information about what's happening in the world around you, if you go and do something with that shit on the other side of that show ending that night, then I think that's the, that's the win. I mean, mm-hmm. at the end of the day, all this shit got to be funny. Otherwise, you're not going to it just doesn't register. So right. above make, all, it has to be funny. Yeah. And I think that's the one thing that remains consistent across all of these shows. Yeah. The the funny makes the fact stick, makes the need to do something stick a little bit more. Um, do you mm-hmm. think we'll get back to a place? Is sort of the truth gone or are we going to get back to a place where, okay, like are we just on a pendulum here with truth? Like, you know, you have the sort of yellow journalism days a little bit. Are, are we going to move back to a place where we do have a standard for truth or are we just in this splintered society now? I think we're splintered until the next generation, bro. I think we're fucked. I think anybody over the age of 25, you just believe what you believe. And there's a lot less pliability. Mm-hmm. You know, we've been uh, pushing this documentary that I'm an executive producer of the neutral ground. And mm-hmm. so the neutral ground um, it's on PBS and streaming. I don't know when this airs, but after the July 5th, you can find it streaming on POV docs. Um, and we talked about the, the document, the documentary, um, CJ hunt, who's a producer at the daily show. He digs into America's obsession with Confederate monuments and why people want to defend them. And, you know, people talk about preserving that history and then black people have talked about, okay, well, can we add our history to the mm. textbooks. Can we add everything else that happened? Right. You know, kind of like the USO shit. Can we talk about the other half of the coin? Mm-hmm. And nobody wants to talk about that either. So people won't even acknowledge your truths right mm. now. And these are the gatekeepers that create the textbooks that ultimately influence a lot of our perspectives on things. So that sucks. The good thing though now is that it ain't 1985 no more, bro. So a textbook ain't going to be the only place you're going to learn about the world. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. that's why it's important to have people starting shit. It's important to have people spreading clips. What Hasan Minaj did for three, four seasons on the Patriot Act on Netflix, that shit was essential, bro. 
Mm-hmm. That was fucking essential viewing. So I think that part of it will help to mold the next generation into questioning a lot of things. Again, why do you believe what you believe? Mm-hmm. If people start asking that question of themselves and not being afraid of the fucking answer on the other side of that, then I think we'll have a country that eventually can get to a place where we can at least agree on what the problem if we can agree. It's like the old Mike Berbiglia used to say, jokes only work when everybody agrees on the premise. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so in society, we all don't agree on the premise, which is also why a lot of people won't watch particular forms of political satire shows. Well, it's true. The premise is rooted in something I don't agree with politically. Yeah. And, and that idea of, questioning and not being afraid of the answer it's almost like we've turned politics into a religion or place politics over religion or like you know honoring you you see those shirts uh, i i stand for the flag i kneel for the cross you know like so it's almost like so are you mad at somebody giving more reverence to the flag than it deserves or like you know what yeah. it's almost like we've made it beyond religion and you can start to see sort of where uh, brainwashing comes in and and then you know i i think it's not many steps from where we are in certain pockets to extremism uh, that we'd see, you know, Fair. that takes, I mean, that, and that's the same sort of mental thing that brought the towers down. You know, it's that it's the same place in your brain where facts don't exist and you just go off these high uh, voltage leaders, I guess. So, yeah. And so you can't, you, you can't, somebody like that you're not going to change their mind overnight bro like you almost have to just fight to create a system that they have to comply with and that's Mm -hmm. where lawmakers and laws and voting and all of those things start coming into play as well and holding them accountable it's really wild to me bro when i really think about how cheap politicians could be bought for like when you start looking at the numbers for like like your vote was two million. That's all it costs, bros, for you to fucking suck the dick of this corporation. <laughs> well, well, it's 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 that was it. Like we could fucking pass the pot around as a fucking people, fucking right? Buy them back. Yeah, because you you look at uh, like Ted Cruz, who's super obviously he's been denying climate change forever. You look at his actual campaign donations from you know some of those like I feel like money is speaking in politics and we could combat that you know just as a society if money's what you're after you know but then you get some of them just doing contrarian <laughs> stuff to gin up you know it, it all gets into lack of truth and people I, I don't even know I'm I'm just talking about it I'm now in a, a broken circle of I forgot where the logic came in and left, you know? Oh, folks, excuse the interruption, but I want to tell you about our sponsors. We got Jolly Good Soda. It is the pride of Random Lake, Wisconsin. Holy smokes, folks. I got some of this soda with me up up north for old fashions. If you think I'm coming up north without Jolly Good Floaters for my old fashions, well, cheaper's crepes, I might as well forget the cherries and the oranges. It's that important for your old fashioned, okay? I'm not going to say it's on the level of brandy, okay? Because worst comes worst, you can have brandy on ice or just brandy and 
you'll be all right. But, uh, you know, it really helps tie the whole room together when you put that Jolly Good Sour Power floater on top. Thanks to Jolly Good for sponsoring the Cripes Cast podcast. Also, I want to shout out Duluth Trading Company. I mean, I'm up here fishing, and I'll tell you, I'm wearing a lot of Duluth stuff, okay? Is it because they're a sponsor of the Cripes Cast, Charlie? Absolutely. But also, they got really comfortable stuff. It's great for fishing. I can't recommend it. You you do their Alaskan hard gear stuff, or or you go the Duluth. They got actually they got these really comfortable fa- uh, pants. Jeez, Louise, I can't. That's the brandy, ladies and gentlemen. They got the double flex denim, and holy smokes, that allows you to crouch deeper and be more comfortable. And your junk won't get all weird if if you got the junk or whatever. Anyway, this got this ad got weird quick, didn't it? Sure, but they've got it available in Relax Fit and Slim Fit. I'm talking about the double flex denim now. Most importantly, they got the flexible waistband, okay? So, you know, if you have a couple two, three too many walleyes at your fish fry, you know, and you don't have enough coleslaw, you know, the day before to keep you regular, uh, you know, don't, no worries, okay? Your your waistband is going to fit to your waist. I promise you that. Okie dokes, back to the Cripes cast. You do so many things. You got a podcast. You got your stand-up tours. You've uh, you've done prank call. Yeah, I mean that's kind of how you got your start, dude. Those are hilarious, the by oldies. the way. Did did you underground shit? Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did did you um you so you start in radio and you start doing the tell people about the prank call bits. So I graduated college oh one. I've been doing stand-up three years. I have a degree in broadcast. The comedian. Um, the nationally syndicated Ricky Smiley. Shout out to Ricky Smiley. He's mm-hmm. also a Birmingham native. Mm-hmm. Ricky leaves Birmingham to go to Dallas to start the syndicated show, to start what ultimately will become the syndicated show he has today. Mm-hmm. I get hired as Ricky's replacement. Ricky's known for prank calls. The radio station basically says, yeah, my fucking only way you work here is if you do prank calls. And I go, well, I don't want to do pranks. Ricky did it. He said, well, fuck you. And I said, wait a minute. <laughs> Wait a minute! I can I can do pranks, and so they gave me God bless them. They gave me creative freedom to do whatever I wanted on the radio with weird sketches and characters, and just at the time for urban radio, you know, I'd say outside of Tom Joyner, nobody was really trying to do anything else. I hadn't heard it at least, but the pranks were the were the trade off. And so, you know, I started doing prank phone calls and I was good at them. And this is back when going viral, you went viral over email. Mm-hmm. And so people would start like a stranger would just email you a file and go open this, play it. It's funny. Trust me. <laughs> yeah. And you would like you wouldn't fucking there's no way you would open an attachment from you know, your mom could send you some shit. And you'd be like, nah. Yeah. <laughs> nah, I ain't yeah. opening that shit. Just tell me what it is. Unless tell, you're you, running you the DNC, win. that's a different story, you know. That's and, funny. And you're opening that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, I started doing the prank phone calls, and I made a couple of CDs and was selling those out the trunk, you know, after yeah. shows and locally, and, and that helped fund my road gigs that I was being underpaid for. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the 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 bigger thing with the prank calls was that I was able to give them to other radio DJs. I I targeted radio DJs in comedy markets where I was not performing or I wasn't getting responses from the bookers. Mm-hmm. And I would send my pranks for free to those DJs to get airtime in the market. And after three, four months of airtime every week on that show, you know, them playing my pranks, 
then I would reach back out to the comedy club booker and go, hey, hey, bitch, I'm on the radio. You should book me. And like that, like that, that my those prank call CDs and those DJs at the peak, I was on in 50 markets every week on a barter deal of self syndication, knowing what I know now about the economics of radio, I probably shortchanged myself a little bit, mm -hmm. but it gave me growth into markets that that, you know, I still sell well in to this day. And a lot of those guys who were young and up and coming DJs, you know, they got promoted to bigger markets. And so, you know, those people, those same people that I met over email in 2003, they're program directors now. And so, you know, I can go into a market where normally they may not have a comedian on, on a regular basis, but you know, there's just relationships and those people remember me and they fuck with me. And it's yeah. something I'm, forever thankful for and that sort of gave you uh, and it's kind of like today you know a lot of stand-ups and i include myself in this is like my stand-up career was going nowhere and then just started doing videos online and then all of a sudden oh now you can sell stuff you know and it's really for comedians out there do you have advice for them if they're like you know trying to do stand-up they're not breaking through um like what's a creative way today is radio still a thing is your model back then still viable today or is it more instagram is it TikTok? um you gotta go dtc direct to consumer <laughs> i think there's I the think way there's you just said some... that is just like i saw the depth of your eye <laughs> you know? it's like radio is not i think there's still some worth in terrestrial radio but you cannot put all your eggs in that basket whatsoever mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely not. Um, there are some. You have to figure out where people are in creating content that brings them into your comedy. So, you know, that that was the good thing about 2020 is that it was the great equalizer for stand up because a lot of guys talk shit about these Internet guys. and You make stupid sketches on the Internet. Right. Yeah, bitch. Guess what? People like them. People watch them at the end of the day. The, the name of the game is to get enough people looking at you so that you convince them that you're worth $25 to come see live. So whatever the fuck accomplishes that and is still on brand for you comedically, then do that. Mm -hmm. No one's saying do sketch shit if you're not a sketch guy, but figure out, figure out what your hook is. What's the thing that makes you you and then figure out the best comedic vehicle for that and then figure out a cheap way to produce it or get with people that need to produce shit because they're trying to get on. Same way you're trying to get on as a comic, there's a nigga with a camera that's trying to get on as a cinematographer. Mm -hmm. Find him. Mm -hmm. He's in your city. Yeah, and it's a lot more fun. The graphic designer is in your city. Right. Barter. Fucking trade. Figure it out. But you ain't gonna make it going to fucking Dayton twice a year as a feature and then eventually getting promoted, they still paying for, I can tell you right now, young comics, what the fuck the money is. This is what you can expect over the next five years of your career. Right now, if you're an MC, you're probably getting 250 for the week. Let's just say that 250, 300 for the week, four day room. I don't know how many shows, but usually it's flat for the week. Let's just say you're getting 300 for the week and you can't sell merch. Feature acts average anywhere from 500 to $800 a week, depending on um, the market. Uh, also, depending on how long you've been featuring and if you have a TV credit or two. So you can maybe make $800. 
and you get to sell stuff if you're not booked with a headliner who's not a fucking piece of shit. <laughs> so let's just call it a G mm-hmm. every week. You know, you might do well with merch. Merch has its ups and downs, but on average, you'll clear half of what you were going to make that week. And ge- that's the general merch equation I've always used. So you do that for two, three years. Now, here's the funny thing. Most clubs don't put features up in hotels anymore because they have local features or they have people within two, three hours or they have people that will couch surf. So whatever you've made as a feature, you got to knock that off. And God bless you if you're a woman because you got to get a fucking hotel room because motherfuckers are creepy. Yeah. So where's your fucking support network? If, if like women have to lean on other women. So you have to find girlfriends in those cities. Like, I used to meet motherfuckers on AOL personals. I wouldn't recommend that now. Nineteen. <laughs> 1998 that's how i fucking i couch surfed with fucking strangers that i met on dating websites because i you know whatever as a woman i don't know if you can do that but (laughs) just different game throwing out i wasn't even trying to fuck like i lit legit i just needed a couch that's hilarious it's like going to the misconnections for that you know correct yeah correct pretty much as a headliner as an early headliner um you'll make $1,200 $1,200 for a week for like a Wednesday through Saturday, 1200 no travel. They'll give you a hotel. You get to sell your merch. So maybe you touch 16 to 18 for the week. Um, the next level after that is 1500 plus 300 travel. So now you're in the big leagues. But at this point, motherfucker, it's been eight years, bro. So you can do things that find an audience quicker and you can rent indie venues you can rent a venue on an off night for 300 bucks. And if you market it properly and learn a little bit about Facebook, the biggest piece of advice I would, I would give to comedians. And it's the one thing that I wish I had to focus more on is learn marketing, learn digital marketing, take whatever free class, watch whatever YouTube course, take whatever fucking college community college curriculum class, learn that and learn the ins and outs of the entertainment industry in terms of deal making there's a book i don't have it i'll text it to you and you can drop it back in the the art of deal making in tv and understanding how contracts and how paperwork work because comedy is set up where it's plenty of books um it's comedy is set up to help you get started to help you get to first base the comedy bible and take my comedy class and mm. go to this comedy seminar and at the festival, the new comic festival, meet all the other fucking whatever the fuck. But then the moment you get an agent or a manager and you don't know whether or not they're fucking you, mm. there's no book for that. When you sell your first script or some guy says, I want to help you EP your show. You don't know whether or not he's fucking you. Mm. There's no there's no. Judy Carter didn't give you that book, so you gotta go find that information yourself. Cause most comedians who could write that book are too fucking busy doing the shit. Right. So we just don't have the time. So, and there's only so much we can talk about on a fucking podcast about shit like that. So educate yourself about the business and how to market yourself. The comedy club is lazy. They are at least five years behind the curve. It's comedy clubs that are just now going, oh yeah, Facebook, we gotta put up a Twitter post. Yeah. That you boost it. Did you tag anybody? Did you geo-target it? And if you don't know what any of that shit means, you better fucking learn. Mm-hmm. Because nobody's going to fucking help you with that shit. 
Everybody's yeah. gonna wait for you to blow and then come there to fucking help. So, you know, the comic you envy, see what they're what you can learn from him. Instead yeah. of fucking the comic you hate. Right. You want to the comic you hate. <laughs> don't steal a joke. Steal his fucking marketing style because that shit is for the streets. Everybody, anybody could do it. Mm hmm. Yeah. Is he posting like two reels a week or something? Is he big on TikTok? Is he doing what? What? Just do that because you hate him probably because he's killing it in some way that where you think the tech you can. goes is where the eyeballs go and figure out a way wherever there's tech and porn there's fucking opportunity jackass <laughs> get you a subscription to fast company yeah read that shit pick up you ain't got to read it every month pick up one every quarter read a fucking fast company and see what the fuck tech and what the fuck app mm -hmm. is out there Mm -hmm. Yeah, be on the the edge of something like that. Like Clubhouse right now is is hot. That's a good way for a lot of people to do it. Um, mm -hmm. Hey, when I was talking to you in Milwaukee, we did a show at Marquette, um, and you were saying you were thinking of hopping on a train uh, out west, coast to coast <laughs> train. You ever get that? You gonna do that? Not yet. I got a close a close second. I got um, New York to Birmingham with my son on um, Father's Day. That's a 22, 22 hour rip, which isn't God awful, but I enjoyed it. But no, I still want to do that, man. Yeah. I want to go New York to Chicago, change trains, and then go Chicago to LA and like just sit on that bitch and fucking write and sleep and mm. do nothing <laughs> and talk to no one. That therapy as a way of making you remember oh yeah i need to have a relationship with myself too mm. so i'm working on that yeah and what is it about train <laughs> of all things why why take a train to kind of come up with these it's slow it's patient it's like baseball it's there's no rush and the world is moving by but you're still sitting still mm. there's just some there's a calm to it that i can't explain um, with less of the paranoia of the city bus. And when I say a train, I mean a sleeper car Yeah. by myself. Like, I'm not sitting out in coach with Gen Pop. No disrespect if you're <laughs> listening to this in coach right now. But for four goddamn days, I, I want to be alone. I don't want <laughs> you know. And when you need to be around people, you go to the cafe car and shoot the shit with strangers. Yeah. And then you go back to your fucking room. Yeah. So, yeah, I think that there's there's a peace of mind in that that I was going to do this summer. And then I booked Fletch with John yeah. Hamm coming to theaters 2022. Um, so <laughs> that's going to cut into my train time. Um, I'm busting my ass between now and October to shoot my. Um, you got your third special shoot, coming out, don't you? Yeah, to shoot my third special. So after October 16th, when we tape, there's going to be a lot of downtime for me. Okay. A lot of downtime. Is there a lot of pressure? I mean, your yeah. first two stand-up specials, I mean, those were a huge hit on Comedy Central. So is there a lot of pressure now to come up with something that has just as much success, uh, or do you try and just forget about that and just do you? I just do me, man. I'm thankful that people watch and give a fuck. I just know that creatively I want to try and have a different approach to, I can't get too much into it, but just visually how we explore the medium of stand-up. Mm. You know, I think that reverting back to something that feels 2019 in its in its visual representation is a little I don't know if for me it feels regressive. So hmm. I'm trying to play around with that. But you have to have the material. It ha again, it just has to be funny above all. 
So yeah. I can't I can't drift past that. But, you know, I, I do want to do something that, you know, at least looks and honors the way we've evolved as a society and the way I've evolved as an artist. But, you know, I got to make sure the shit is good, too. Yeah. You see some comedians use uh, uh, like visuals on like the backboard or whatever or bring in sounds into the thing to, to kind of bridging the gap yeah. from stand up to one man show. Are you a purist? Are you not for that? What are your thoughts on that? I just don't have the material that honors that. I mean, I think that drifts more into one man show territory, which is all mm -hmm. very, you know, interesting and good. I'd say Neil Brennan probably had the most interesting evolution. Um, two things that I thought were very interesting was one, Neil Brennan, three mics, and then uh, Gerard Carmichael's second special, eight, which started with him already on stage mid thought. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was a very interesting way of just diving into it. Like, fuck how you doing and what the heck? He was yeah, like, yeah. no, let's just start, you know? So I think that there's a lot of different ways to explore. You just got to sit still, sit on the goddamn train. Yep. All comes back to the train. It. All comes back yeah. to the train. <laughs> yeah. So I'll take a trip on the train and figure it out, man. Uh, I know we're running low on time, but before we wrap up, you just did this PBS special where you went back and sort of traced your family's roots. Can you explain to the Ooh. audience what that was about and, and how that was? Yeah. Shit. Yeah. That's not really a um, last. That's not really a before we wrap up. We just didn't get shit. there yet. That's sort of a yeah. big thing to unwrap. I would say this. It was probably one of the most emotional roller coastery things I've ever been a part of. Uh, but Finding Your Roots is a show where they basically take your birth certificate and your parents' birth certificates and death certificates of dead relatives and trace your lineage back as far as they can. And with black people, it's interesting because a lot of us, you know, there wasn't a lot of paperwork during, mm. you know, enslavement. Uh, but, you know, Henry Louis Gates was able to find documents that trace us all the way back to you know my descendant my paternal descendants who came off of the slave ship purchase documents and so that's powerful stuff to know and to be empowered with and it's stuff that i you know hopefully my son will be able to be better informed about knowing who he is because he knows who we were yeah, if that makes sense. And I thought this was, I just want to read this. You said it, but you said this has to do with your son. You said, I feel like I did it more so to make sure that my son doesn't have to fill in any gaps. We turned over every rock, bro. I got the bro in there. We found every possible name, every document, every picture. All he has to do is look forward. I thought that was really profound when you said all he has to do is look forward. What has it been sort of a maybe a burden on your life to have to go look back at this? Or is that something that lingers or has lingered in the back of your head? And what do you think you give I, to your son by being able to just look forward? I haven't processed it yet. I've compartmentalized everything from finding your roots until I get through the stand-up special. Mm. Because there's a journey with that in finding all of that information and really sitting and reading and absorbing it. I know where the some of my I know where my grandfather and my great grandfather are buried now because of that show. It was wow. edited it out. I know where the man who got off the slave ship and started the wood lineage is buried. That wasn't in the show. So it's definitely a trip to be made down to that grave. And so what that will bring up and make me feel I do not know, but I better be in a place to absorb it. And I don't need to do that while I'm still figuring out what 
fucking joke about mass shootings I'm going to tell <laughs> on right. television right. in the right. fall. So it's one of those things. I'll get to it, yep. but you got to give me some time. I'll give you time. I know what that's like. I know what that's, that's like. I'm going to let you go, man. But before I do any uh, final thoughts in general or advice to comedians coming up. No, I've said everything I have to say to young comics. If you're not educating yourself and you're waiting on the game to come to you, you're a fucking idiot and you're lazy and it's going to pass you by. And also, if you're not in New York or L.A., fine. But figure out a way to network with the people who are start creating that network, because the people that are running alongside you, those are going to be your allies as you matriculate up. Mm. You know, there's not going to be many opportunities for people to pull you up and, quote, save you or take you on the road with them and shit like that. That's all that's that's all old goals. Be careful about inheriting the goals of your predecessors because their goals are based on a construct that doesn't exist anymore. You may as well be clamoring to get a late night set. Mm-hmm. It ain't going to do for you in 2021 what it did for Ray Romano. Right. I did Letterman in 06. All it got me, and I say this respectfully, uh, but all it got me was more gigs in the Midwest. Mm. It got my money up a little bit. And it was a nice thing to have on my resume next to BET's comment view so that you didn't think I was one of those urban comedians you should be scared of. But it didn't kick down the sitcom doors that it did for guys in the 90s because things change. Right. The worth of things change. Y'all are really fucked now because Conan's gone. And Conan was the only one giving new motherfuckers a chance for a long goddamn time, bro. It's a lot of comedians got their first TV credit because of Conan. And that mm-hmm. shit was cooking for 15 years. And there ain't a lot of comedy showcase shows on TV right now. So, you know, I don't know what the fuck to tell you, man. I think you said a lot. I don't you know, know what that. the fuck to tell you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I appreciate it. You know, so you better figure it out yourself. Yeah, well, I, all that advice is pretty legit. It's pretty great. So thanks for sharing it, man. Absolutely. And uh, great talking to you. And I you hope too, you man. get that train right in. <laughs> all right. Be good. I appreciate you, dude. I don't. Good talking to you, man. <laughs> Take care. And that is it for this week's episode of the Cripes Cast, ladies and gentlemen. I hope you have enjoyed it. I hope by the time you're listening to it, I will have caught my first muskie up here. And I hope you follow Roy Wood Jr. on Instagram. That's at Roy Wood Jr., simple enough and you can also follow the Cripescast. that's at Cripescast on facebook instagram and twitter thank you all for listening keep her moving and while you keep her moving watch out for them deer honest to pete i almost hit one this morning okay so look out for them sums of guns okie dokes bye-bye